Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. I'm Pastor Ken Vance, the senior pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. These podcasts are designed to keep the conversation from Sunday morning going. They're intended to dig deeper into God's Word for those that are hungry and truly want to learn so that they can be established in the truths of God's Word. And I'm excited because this month we've been talking about uh, developing a personal vision for our life. And that's so important. As we've kind of learned through the course of this, we're all running a race. We need to realize that. And we need to have a clear destination and a course by which we're running. And so that shows the power of vision because vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by what should be. That's the definition we've been using in these set of discussions. And it defines for us an ended result. It, des- it defines for us a destination we're heading towards. But it also maps a course for us to obtaining that, that destination. And we've said this before, but the clearer our vision is, the fewer the options and the easier it is to reach our destination. Because when your vision is really, really clear, we're less likely to be sidetracked. We're less likely to be... Um, distracted and pulled away. We're less likely to take detours that really don't lead us to the place we ultimately want to go. And that's why vision is so important for us. We're all heading somewhere in life. And vision is what gives our journey purpose. When we see where we're going, and it's the intention of going where we were designed to go. These series, uh, these discussions that we've been talking about, are all rooted out of the, the scripture in Proverbs, in Proverbs 29, 18, that says, without vision, people perish. Or as it says in the, in the uh, ESV version, without prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. And prophetic vision is talking about God's plan. It's talking about God's design. It's talking about the purpose for which God created us. And that's the good news. That's what we all need to celebrate. God designed each of us unique and special. He designed each of us with a purpose in mind. And it is when we fill that purpose, it's when we run that course that we find true fulfillment. We we find the meaning in life because vision gives significance to the otherwise meaningless parts of life. When you begin to all see it, come together like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. When you see vision, vision is like the cover of the box of a jigsaw puzzle. It gives the overall purpose and it helps fit all the pieces together. Can you imagine ever trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together without the picture, without the, without the, what the, what the ultimate thing you were building was to show? That would be so difficult. Well, that's what people's lives are like. Without vision, they're trying to put pieces together 
of different aspects of life, and it doesn't seem to make any sense. But vision gives a clarity. It provides the opportunity for us to know where we're going and, again, provides us the course to getting there. And so when we have a clear vision, what we also begin to realize is that it provides not just the course for which we're running, but it gives us joy that fuels our journey to get there. I mean, think about it. Every time we've gone into a new venture, think about marriage for a minute. When two people are getting married, they're full of joy. They have so many ideas, so many uh, anticipations of what this relationship's going to mean for them. They're heading somewhere. They're excited. They're, they're full of joy. Or like two people that are planning to have children, two married people, and says, listen, it's time for us to have kids. When they, have, when they, they begin the process and uh, um, pregnancy and, uh, comes, there's a joy that they're going to be parents. There's absolutely an anticipation and an expectation because they know where they're heading. And most parents have an idea in their mind what they want their family to be like. And so it's full of joy on the, at the onset of it. Or like any new job. When you head into the new job, you're full of expectation, full of joy and excitement about this new venture. Or like the beginning of the year, as we come into it, when we make that decision to get in shape or to, to become healthy or to do uh, uh, better with our financial affairs and all. We are so excited when we start out on the journey because these new ventures give us joy. And it's also, another way we could say it is, we're filled with enthusiasm. And why I want to highlight that is the, the word enthusiasm is, comes from the Greek word enthusos, enthusos, which means to be full of God. It's, it, it's interesting, side note for here, the word enthusiasm had its origin in Christianity. Because when Greek philosophers were looking at these New Testament saints, these people that were followers of Jesus now, they were filled with joy. And they had to come up with a word to describe it. And so they said, enthusos, ones in whom God lives, ones that are filled with God. And so enthusiasm is to be full of God. But you see here, it, it highlights our challenge. And what is our challenge? Remaining full. Joy is a product of the Spirit. Paul, the writing to the Galatian ch uh, church in Galatians chapter 5 said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. In other words, the Spirit of the living God living inside of us produces this, what the Bible calls fruit. And joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the operation or working of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's why it's important that we recognize the necessity and the importance of remaining filled with the Spirit. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells them, be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's interesting because there's a play on words there. Because in the Greek language, literally it's saying, be filled being filled. In other words, it's a continuous experience. It's something that we experience once and then continually. Again, like the, the fuel inside of an engine. 
We have to continue to fill it up. We have to continue to refill our tank. And why is this important to understand? Because we leak. Vision has a way of seeping out, and you have to constantly uh, uh, re reinvigorate. And when to stay filled with the Spirit, we have a way of often getting filled with other things. We let things distract us in life. We let other things get inside of us. But the importance is, is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5, is the responsibility as followers of Christ is to remain full of the Spirit. Why? The Spirit energizes us. The Spirit empowers us to accomplish the will of God. God never intended that we would do this on our own, but it was the Spirit who came in us. That's how we were born again. But it's also how we are to live. We are to live as a new creation. We are to live in the power of the Spirit. And that's how we're to fulfill the mission, the vision, the purpose of God for our lives. But again, we have the tendency to be filled with other things. And so we need to take the time to spend and remain full of the Spirit. We need to fill ourselves. In fact, interesting, when you do a study on this, what you discover is being filled with the Spirit is connected specifically to speaking. In Ephesians 5, when it says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, it's a way that we remain filled. It's also, in essence, how, the, how we stay full of joy. When we speak... When we remember, because sometimes what we speak needs to be remembering, speaking to ourselves sometimes, who God is, reminding ourselves of who God is, what God is doing, what God has done. And when we speak those things, what happens to us is faith comes. Why? Because Romans ten seventeen says it this way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we hear ourselves speak the things of God, when we hear ourselves say the things that God's word says, it fills us with anticipation. It fills with, with us with expectation because we believe God is working. We believe God is moving. And so to run our race, we need to remain full of joy. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter uh, uh, 12. We looked at the scripture before, but I'm going to finish the second piece of it because in Hebrews 12:1 it says, Therefore, seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run our race with patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, Jesus is our model. We look to Jesus. In fact, if we're Christians, to be a Christ follower means that we're looking to model our lives after Christ. We're aspiring to be like him. We want our lives to be like Jesus. We want to emulate his life. And here it tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, the one whom our faith comes from and the one in whom is perfecting or completing that in us. 
Jesus gave us our faith and he's working to develop it, to perfect it, to mature it, to complete it in us. And as we run our race, we grow, we mature, we become more and more like Christ because Jesus ran his race. He's our example. His destiny was to die for our sins, to redeem us to God. But that required Jesus having to die on a cross. And that's no light thing. That's no simple thing. We need to recognize, because the historical reference here, that he despised the shame, that he endured the cross. The cross was the most vicious and horrible form of execution human beings ever developed. It was a total humiliation. The Roman government had perfected it, and it was, in, it was used to intimidate and control the peoples that they, they uh, um, ruled over so that it would stop any form of rebellion or, or resistance to the Roman government, to the Roman Empire. And so they used it viciously in that end. But it was a shame because when someone was condemned to die, they lost everything, and then they were humiliated. They were stripped naked and nailed to a cross, and it was so painful. It was a symbol to everybody else what would happen if you defied Rome. And Jesus, realizing that his destiny was t would take him through the cross, that Jesus, to be able to sit at the right hand of the Father, to fulfill the mission for which he came, required him to endure the cross. And Jesus, how was Jesus able to do that? How was he able to deal with something so horrific, so painful, that even at the thought of it, when Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, the night in which he had shared the Passover supper with his disciples, he had gone into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and prayed. And the Bible told us that he prayed so earnestly that night that great drops of blood fell from his sweat. He was in so much anguish, but he said, Father, not my will, your will be done. But how was Jesus able to accomplish that end? Because it was the joy that was set before him. It was through joy. Jesus completed his mission because of joy, through joy. And that's how he was able to get to the throne. That's how he was able to redeem us. Because ultimately, Jesus recognized that the, the completing his task meant honoring his Father, meant being, bringing glory and pleasure to the heart of the Father. Because ultimately, it would bring about the salvation for humanity. It would ultimately give the opportunity for many sons to be brought to glory. It would provide the opportunity for human beings to be forgiven of their sins and become children of the living God. And who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despite the shame, so that he sat down. He fulfilled his mission. But where did that joy come from? In Hebrews 1.9, the Apostle Paul writing here, in Hebrews 1.9, it says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The writer of Hebrews is referencing an Old Testament scripture. And it's, and it's tying this 
to the, to the life of Jesus, that as our Messiah, as our Christ, as our Lord, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. And that's why it tells of Jesus' life, that his anointing, Isaiah 61, when Jesus had gotten up in the, the, the synagogue in Nazareth, he had found the place where the prophet Isaiah had spoken. In the book of Isaiah, he found Isaiah 61 that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to cause the, the, the recovery of sight to the blind. It caused the, the opening of the prison door and the, to let the captives go free. But he goes on to say this, and often many don't follow through on this end. The quote in Isaiah goes on to say, and give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. In other words, Jesus offers us what he himself had received. In other words, to run our race as followers of him, he gives us what the Father gave him. Jesus was anointed with the, with the oil of joy, and Jesus has given us the Spirit. He has anointed us with the oil of joy so that we can fulfill our race. We can fulfill the, the purpose for which God created us. That's why Jesus, when talking to the disciples the night of the Last Supper, what's recorded in John 15, he says to them, my joy have I given you. And, I, and then he worked and went on to say that your joy may be complete. Jesus gives us joy and then works to mature and complete that joy. And that's how we run our race. But here's the big question I want to ask us today. What happens when we face difficulties, challenges, hardships on our journey? How do we respond? Hardships, they're inevitable. Just because we are pursuing the will of God and God's purpose for our life doesn't mean that we won't face challenges. That's one of those things that can trip up people in faith, that when difficulties come their way, immediately the response is, God, why? Why did this happen? But you and I need to recognize that Jesus had already spoken to us about it. He told us we would have challenges. In fact, in John 16, he said, in the world, we would have trouble, but that we would not need to fear. Why? Because he had overcome the world. He gave us everything necessary to complete our journey. And that's why we need to, to understand the joy that is in us. Because when we face those difficulties, how will we respond? We have an enemy. We have someone that's attempting to deter us, to stop us. Peter put it this way. When Peter wrote his epistle, he said, Your enemy, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then the Bible tells us that we're to resist him in the faith. You see, Satan roars. He attempts to intimidate and stop us from fulfilling our journey. But you and I can overcome. We can finish the race that's set before us. We can choose a better choice. Because here's, here's the, another question we need to recognize. If challenges come our way, how we respond will determine whether or not we complete our journey 
or whether we get either sidetracked or stop our journey. So what, again, will we do? Because we can't control what our journey brings, but we can control how we respond to it. How we respond is purely in our own camp. We do not, let, we do not need to let the enemy stand in our way. In fact, when he puts obstacles in our way, we need to learn to step on those, not stumble over them. Because we can go higher. The challenges of life can cause our faith to grow stronger. The challenges of life can cause us to become even more intimate and close with our Father in heaven. It all depends on what we see. It all depends on how we handle these things. Because we need to remain on course. We need to fulfill our vision. We have a choice. There's always a better choice. We can't control what happens to us, but we sure can control how we respond to it. There is a better choice. We can, because tempted with the choice to get down, discouraged, despondent, depressed, no, there's a better choice. We can choose joy. Joy is a choice. And in fact, in James chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. One translation says it counted all joy when you are faced with various trials and difficulties. You and I have to think about that because that is so unnatural. How can the Apostle James write this to us? In fact, it wasn't really a suggestion. It was a command that the way that we are to respond when trials, difficulties, hardships come our way is to count it all joy. And that's important to see because the word count or the word consider from the Greek language is translated many times the word governor, the word governor, because we can let that be in control. We have a choice. We can, th we can choose how will we think about the situation. We can choose to govern our own situation, literally take control. When we choose joy, we are taking control. Because when we choose joy here, it tells us, Joy may not be the normal human natural response, but it is a divine response. It's something that helps us. It helps us uh, uh, to see the situation in the right light. Because again, trials and adversities, they're inevitable. But we don't have to treat them as an adversary. We can otherwise make them our friend. You're like, what? Pastor Ken, are you crazy? making trials and difficulties our friend? Why? Why would we do that? Because here, two things that are important. Number one, they produce perseverance. In other words, the ability to not give up. We all, if you've ever run a race, you realize that the temptation to quit, the temptation to give up is there the longer the race goes. And our life following Jesus is a lifelong race. And we can be tempted to get deterred by difficulties or trials. We can be tempted to give up, to give in, to get angry, to get upset, to feel sorry for ourselves. But no, 
If we treat these trials and difficulties and hardships as a friend, they not only produce perseverance, but the other thing is they strengthen our faith. They develop faith in us. It's like going to the gym and lifting weights. Lifting weights is really a resistance training. Resistance training means the more weight I'm able to push off myself, the stronger I become. And so it is spiritually. The more I'm able to resist the devil, the more I'm able to stop the difficulties that come my way to deter me or stop me, the more I say no and continue to run my race, the stronger my faith becomes. And these difficulties and challenges help us to develop spiritual muscle because natural muscle is developed two ways. Natural muscle is developed by eating the right things and by exercising. Exercising in a way like resistance training that causes our muscles to be challenged. And the more they're challenged, the more they grow. And spiritual muscle is when we eat God's word, when we stay filled with the things of God, when we keep our perspective straight and we resist the devil, we resist the challenges, we resist the opportunities to not go down the road of discouragement, despondency, depression, but no, we stay full of joy. We choose joy. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Did you hear that? That's so critical. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So running our race, we need to stay filled with joy because that's how we uh, 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 run. That's how we complete the task. That's how we get through the difficulties. We grow stronger when we allow joy to be the choice we take. And so what I, what I need to clarify, because what may be going on in many heads is this, we haven't necessarily understood the difference between joy and happiness. And there's a world of difference between the two. The word happiness comes from the old English word hap which means that it it's, it's relies upon happenstances. In fact, it's purely reliant on the circumstances of life. Happiness is all about the, the things that are happening to us that create that. But joy is not about any other thing around us. Joy comes from God. Joy is a work of the Spirit in us. Joy is God doing something through us. In essence, joy is based on a belief. And joy is based on a belief in who God is and what he's doing and what he is doing for us. It's a remembrance of what he has done and what he is continuing to do on our behalf. It's, it's, it's not, again, reliant on circumstances around us. We can have joy no matter what comes our way because we can recognize and know, and know that God is bigger than the things that we face, that we can and will be victorious when we remain true, when we remain in faith, because joy is the voice of faith. It is the response of faith. When we choose joy, it's because we see the destination. We see the outcome. We see that God will bring us through. We may not know how, we may not know the details or circumstances and the way God is going to work in it, but we can be absolutely confident that what God is doing, he will bring us through, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. 
He is true to his word. And that's why we can stay filled with joy because we can recognize God loves us. God's for us. God is with us. God is working. We may not see it, but we believe and know that our God is faithful because joy is rooted in the goodness and faithfulness of God. When our minds and hearts are filled with that, it's easy to be joyous. You and I need to learn to laugh. Sometimes we need to learn to laugh at the devil. I remember a great teacher that I learned so much from over the years, Kenneth E. Hagin, when he was alive, talked about the responsibility that we had to laugh at the devil because the devil is a liar. So many times when we attempt to, to be uh, discouraged, downhearted, lose faith or, or give up on a situation, generally it's the enemy coming along and whispering in our ear, you can't, it's impossible, and all the other things. But no, you need to laugh. You need to remember that with God, nothing is impossible. You need to remember that we can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. You need to remember that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's why we need to just learn to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Sometimes you have to make yourself do it. But when you learn to do it, laughter, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, is a good medicine. It, 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 it lifts our heart. It, it brings strength to our inner being. And it gives us the ability to endure. An example of this, in Acts 16, the Bible tells us regarding Paul and Silas. Now, Paul had gone off on a missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and he had taken Silas as his partner for this journey. And during that time, they had gone through Asia Minor, preaching the gospel in many places, and the Holy Spirit had forbid them to go into certain areas. And Paul saw in the night a vision, a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And Paul perceived that this was the Spirit leading them to go to, to, to Macedonia. And he came to the chief city of Macedonia at that time was the city of Philippi. And in the city of Philippi, you would imagine if the Holy Spirit had moved in such a way that there would be just instantaneous success, you know, open doors like nobody could understand. But the Bible tells us that Paul experienced hardships there, that he preached for many times. The, there was a demonic girl who her masters had used to soothsay and, you know, fortune tell for people for money. And she kept speaking for weeks regarding Paul and Silas and saying, these men are the great, uh, come from the great God to show you the way to God. And Paul realized that this wasn't helping him. He didn't need demonic advertisement. And so he cast the devil out of that girl. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas find themselves thrown into jail. And not only were they thrown into jail, they were beaten and put in the innermost parts of the jail in stocks. But the Bible tells us, and I love this story in Acts 16. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And hear this, it says, and the other prisoners heard them. In other words, Paul and Silas, I mean, if there was ever a temptation to be discouraged, if there was ever a temptation to grumble and complain, you know, I could just see Silas saying, yeah, Paul, sure, that was the Holy Spirit. Sure, that was God. You must have ate too much hummus, my friend. Look at where we are. Our backs are bleeding. We're in stocks. We're in jail. It's, it's dark. It's midnight. We're in the worst situation we could ever perceive. This couldn't have been God. 
They could have so easily uh, gotten down. They could have so easily gotten angry. They could have gotten angry at God. God, why did you send us here? God, why did this happen to us? And, and blame God in the midst of it. And many times, think about it with me. When trials and difficulties and hardships arise, we can be tempted to blame God. Maybe you even have. But you see, when you choose joy, it's another perspective because Paul and Silas chose joy. And you know what the Bible tells us happened next? That suddenly, and God is a master of suddenlies. Just like in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, suddenly the Holy Spirit came that day. God is, is always working on our behalf. We need to not give up. We need to not let down. We need to not give in because God is working. And all of a sudden, a suddenly can come. And suddenly that prison was shaken and all the doors opened and the stocks fell off and the chains came off of them. And Paul and Silas were freed that night. In fact, the, the Philippian jailer attempted to execute himself because he was afraid that the, they would kill him. They would torture him. And Paul said, don't harm yourself. I believe that that man, because he, he became a convert that night, he and his whole family, I believe he ultimately became the pastor of the church in Philippi. And what's fascinating to me is that the Philippian church became one of the strongest churches of the early church movement that Paul, in Paul's missionary plantings, his, his friends in Philippi were partners with him. And, and it was in this city that God had moved because he chose joy. In fact, in Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews commends those that they had taken joyfully the hardships and difficulties that, that had come their way because of their faith in Christ. And that's what we need to realize. We need to not give up. We need to receive. We will receive. Here's what uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews went on to say in Hebrews 10. He said, for we will receive the promise if, and here's the condition, if we don't give up. And that's why staying full of joy keeps us strong. We need to choose joy. Why? Because choosing, we need to choose joy because it's a decision to trust God. God moves through and by the faith of his people. And that's important to understand because in Hebrews 11, 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, choosing joy is a choice to see God's goodness in the middle of a storm. The good news is God never changes. God is with us. He's promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Why do we let our emotions? Why do we let the opinions of others? Why do we let the testimony of the enemy attempt to create our realities? No, our perceptions create our realities. And our perceptions need to be based on God's word because Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Hebrews 13 says, God, God speaking, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God is always with us. He is working. You see, he's the God who's more than enough. He's the God who's working. And what God is doing can only be inhibited when we choose not to believe. Because it's through faith that we overcome. And that's why it's important that we stay strong. 
Joy is the response of faith. Joy is how we stay strong in faith. And joy is a choice to trust God. See, Job, the Old Testament saint, Job said this, even through the midst of his trials, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, I will have faith in God. Joy is not fleeting like happiness. It's an anchor. It's anchored in God's goodness. It's anchored in God's faithfulness. God's the same. He changes not. What he's done before, he'll do again because God is faithful. And that's where our trust is rooted. And that's why we can be joyful. It keeps our heart. Joy keeps our heart from being pulled into self-pity, into feeling sorry for ourselves into bitterness or resentment because all of those things poison our soul. All of those things hurt our heart. But when we stay full of joy, we stay strong. It protects our heart. And see, God moves through the faith of his people. And that's why staying full of joy fuels our journey. It keeps us in faith. Romans 15, 13 says this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as no notice this as you trust in him so that he may overflow you with hope by the power of the holy spirit notice the connection here that it's as we trust that we're filled with joy as we it's it's a choice we make we choose to trust god we choose to be joyful because we believe that god is who he said he is that he will do what he said he will do and in those moments That's when the oil of joy comes upon us and we do not have to to, uh, uh, um, allow the circumstances and situations, the trials, the hardships, the difficulties to deter us, but we can remain on course. We can know when when the problems come our way that these problems will only make us stronger and less likely that the enemy will take us on because the stronger our faith becomes, the more of a threat we are to Satan. And that's why staying full of the Spirit, in Ephesians 5 again, it says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul says being filled with the Spirit is like drinking wine. He said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He, he juxtapositions these two situations, being filled with the Spirit and being drunk with wine. And why does Paul do this? Because when people are drunk uh, with alcohol, they come. we call it in our culture being under the influence. Because under the influence of alcohol, people can do foolish things. People can do crazy things. People can do dangerous things. But when we're filled with the Spirit, it's the opposite. When we're filled with the Spirit, we do amazing things. When we're filled with the Spirit, God works mightily through our lives. When we're filled with the Spirit, we do not let the, li- the circumstances of the life around us to control us. In other words, we stay strong and we stay full of joy. Just like people who drink, they get joyous, they get giggly. They get, they, they, many people in our culture drink to escape problems. God doesn't want us to escape problems. God wants us to overcome our problems. Therefore, we don't need to drink alcohol. We need to stay filled with the Spirit. We do not need to try to avoid our problems. We need to stay full of the Holy Ghost and tackle our problems, overcome our problems. When the enemy puts an obstacle in front of us, we need to turn it into a stepping stone and go higher 
and further with God that we could have never accomplished without him. That's why the Bible says uh, that Jesus, uh, that all of the difficulties, even death, that were put under his feet, that they became his footstool, that God made all of Jesus' difficulties and problems a footstool. In other words, he rose higher. When you stand on a footstool, you go higher than you could naturally speaking. And we can allow the circumstances, the hardships that we face to actually cause us to go higher in the ways of God. We can choose joy because God can turn obstacles into opportunities. When we're tempted to lose joy, when obstacles comes our way, we can choose to no longer, like I said, not stumble over those problems. We can choose to step on them. See, the choice is before us. We can choose to complain, grumble, gripe. Every time the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, when they were heading toward the promised land, every time they faced a challenge, every time they faced a hardship, instead of trusting God, I mean, Think about this for a moment. What had they already seen God do for them? They were in slavery in Egypt. Egypt was the strongest empire in the world. Pharaoh was the, was the most powerful man on the planet at that time. But God humbled the Egyptian empire. God overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. God brought his people out with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. God did amazing things for the nation of Israel. So why would they default to complaining and grumbling and griping every time a difficulty came their way instead of trusting in the living God? And before we put a finger of blame towards them, we need to ask ourselves, why so often are we tempted to grumble and complain when obstacles, difficulties, and hardships come our way? Why are we so willing to give up, give in, let go, and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore? No, we need to realize that God can turn obstacles into opportunities. We can rise above these situations. God has a way and as he's working in these situations, he's maturing us. He's causing our faith to grow. Listen to this. Give you an example of it. Paul writing to his friends in Philippi, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul and his missionary journeys had become arrested. He had been uh, 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 imprisoned. But look at what Paul learned through this. In Philippians 1.12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul said this imprisonment may seem like a real doggy downer. It may seem like a real bummer. But actually, I've come to see it's advancing the gospel. It's causing my brethren to be bolder than they ever would have been before because of my chains. But something absolutely fascinating as well. Paul's imprisonment actually gave him the time to sit down and write the epistles and the epistles of what have endured for over 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? No, God has this way of turning obstacles into opportunities. Now Paul's in prison, so he can't go from city to city planting ecclesias, churches. But now he can sit down and write to the churches that he did and let others continue his journey, continue his work. It caused the advancement and the furtherance of the gospel. But lastly, I want to talk to us about this. Why choose joy? Because when we choose joy, 
God can turn misery into ministry. When those hardships come our way, again, instead of getting upset and angry and difficult, God is with us. God is for us. God is right there helping us. But listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, it says this, Let us give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father, the God from whom all help comes. He helps us in all our troubles so that we are able to help others. See, notice this. God is there in the midst of our troubles. He helps us in all our troubles. Why? So that we are able to help others who have all kinds of troubles and using the same help that we ourselves have received from God. Just as we share in Christ's many sufferings, so will we also, through Christ, share in God's help. Our lives are like Jesus. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. We can't avoid troubles, but we can choose joy. And when we choose joy, God can take the difficulties that we're in, the difficulties that God is ministering to us in them, in fact, if you're going through a difficulty, don't shut yourself off from God. We need God's help. We need God's grace. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our difficulties. He helps us in our struggles. And so let God help you. And then when we've been helped, God can turn our misery into ministry. I want to leave us with this story. Chuck Colson, when he was alive, Chuck Colson uh, in his early days, before he came to Christ, he had become a very high-powered attorney. He was an attorney in the Nixon administration. In fact, he had risen to the highest echelons of power in our nation in the Nixon administration. He was an advisor to the President of the United States. But Chuck Colson was one of the three that were convicted in the Watergate uh, scandal that, that brought down the Nixon administration. It was deeply humiliating. It was deeply mortifying. But during that period of time that Chuck Colson was in prison was when he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. When he wrote the book uh, uh, Born Again, he, he realized the situation that, you know, God had made him new and changed him. But what was fascinating, when you follow Chuck Colson's life, Chuck Colson realized the miserable conditions of U.S. prisons and sought to give his life to ministering to prison to prisoners and to uh, standing for prison reform. You see, prison could have been a hardship that Chuck could have never wanted to go back to. Just the sight of prison could have reminded him of all the pain, all of the humiliation, all of the, the, the hardship that he had gone through. But no, God had turned that situation around. And so Chuck gave the rest of his life. He built Prison Fellowship, which is one of the major ministries, probably the most premier ministry to prisoners across the United States and the world. And his legacy that he left behind was that he allowed God to turn his misery into ministry, and he became a voice to the Christian community. And he is a voice of encouragement to us. And so here's what I want to leave us with today. To finish our journey, to complete our task, to run the race that's set before us, to have our eyes firmly fixed on the vision for our life and pursuing it, the fuel that gets us where we ultimately want to be is joy. 
We need to stay full of joy. That means no matter what our journey brings our way, we need to choose joy. We need to not get discouraged or depressed. We need to see it from the eyes of God that these things that we are going through are just uh, 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 things along the way that cause us to grow stronger in our faith, things along the way that provide for us perseverance. Because when we face trials and difficulties and hardships, they're inevitable. You can't avoid them. We can choose joy. That's what James told us. Count it all joy. In other words, choose joy. Let that govern our life. And when we do, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. When we do, the Spirit of the Lord will move in our lives. When we do, we'll stay full of faith and be ready for God to do amazing things. But just like Paul and Silas in that prison cell, they had no idea how God would get them out of that situation. They had no idea what God would actually do. All they knew was that God was faithful, that they were following the vision. They were following the mission, and God would lead them ultimately to their destination. They just needed to remain full of joy, and that's what they did. That's why at midnight, so no matter what you're going through right now, you can choose joy. You can praise God. You can give God glory because God is the same and he changes not. And God will do for us what he's done for others in the past. Just as God shook that prison and the chains came off and Paul and Silas were freed, they continued the mission that they had been sent there for. And God will continue to work in your life, and you can fulfill that mission. And so until next time, this is Pastor Ken.